Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. You know, weekends are a time to catch up sometimes on the honeydews, and but hopefully more than anything else, it's a time to, to set time apart and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hope you've had private worship And so that when the public worship comes, you're ready. And on Exploring Missions, what we try to do is get you ready privately and publicly because we are on mission for God. This is Bert Harper along with co-host Nathan Harper. Nathan, it's exciting to do these programs. We're going to do two programs with these guests, and we're excited about what God's going to do and what he is doing. And uh, God's active around the world, isn't he? Absolutely. It's uh, just a privilege, a joy to not only to learn about those things and hear what God is doing and talk to people who are involved with that, but it's even more exciting to realize all of us, whether here in the studio or listening, you know, on podcast or in a radio, some on a radio somewhere, we are all as a body of Christ, we're all a part of that. We're participants in that work that God is doing and we can be active participants and uh, be intentional about that. And that's our hope and our goal for this program today. So we're telling you the Great Commission is real. And it was not given as an option. It was given as a command. So we're going to talk to two individuals today that are seriously taking the Great Commission at its face value and doing something about it that God has led them to do, God has equipped them to do, and that God is demonstrating his love and his power. It's amazing how he demonstrates those hand in hand. Most folks say power and love, how contradictory. Not with God, not with God. His love is that power. So we want to talk about it today. Our guests are from U-Turn Ministries. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. Joeville. Yes, sir. And Eric Perkins. And uh, it is good to have you guys. I got to meet you a month or so ago. And when I heard your stories, I said, I've got to get these two guys back, and we're not just going to have time for one program. we got to have two. And I said, I'm not going to interview them alone. I've got to have Nathan here to help with this interview because when I got when I was talking to you guys and I recognized uh, the heart, but I'll, I'll just put it this way, the language of missionaries. Now, I don't mean that in a any way derogatory but special. It's I, I found this out about missionaries. They they have a heart, but they also they're able to articulate some words that express how the Great Commission is to be carried out. And uh, I look on myself as a layman in that area. But when I talk to you three guys, we're talking about three guys that have been there doing that. And so we want to learn about that. So we'll start out with just you turn ministries and tell us about what it is, Joe. We'll start with you. You turn ministries. What what does that mean? Well, back in two thousand and four, um, God had confirmed my call as an evangelist, and we started U Turn Ministry, a small group of us, some uh, some businessmen and myself, to just uh, take the gospel to the nations. We were going to facilitate some short term mission trips uh, 
You know, I think it's been said that a 10-day mission trip is better than 52 sermons as far as what it does in a person's life, you know, particularly when you get into a harvest field. And so I'd had the opportunity for about five years to work with a gentleman named Ross Collier, who was a missionary in Malawi, Africa, and he had been mentoring me. And so we started U-Turn based on the first sermon that Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. And so that idea of you need to turn, you know, God's coming and we're not ready. And so uh, we started that again, really to facilitate my call as an itinerant evangelist and to lead some short-term mission trips. And through that, what we found is that God was active all over the planet. And so we've been able to lead and participate in short-term trips all over the world. But specifically, I think uh, what, what has touched your heart is what's happening in Southeast Africa, particularly the country of Malawi. Well, when I, you know, I studied that good bit, Nathan's helped me. There's quite a battle going on in Africa for as taking over who's going to control which territory Christians are. Well, yeah, are there's Muslims. I mean, there's a ongoing spiritual battle that we, we may or may not always be you know aware of and in tune with. But it, it also affects people uh, on the ground, and, and you see that in gospel proclamation, people sharing the gospel, especially those who don't have access or as much access to that. And the enemy wants to push that away and push that back and, and hold on to, to the darkness. And, and, of course, that's where we want the light to come in. And, and in Africa specifically, you see that a lot of times in religion of Islam, and Christianity, and you can almost kind of sub-Saharan Africa, there's a kind of a, a little bit of a line there where you see strong influence of Islam toward the north and then a stronger and growing, I would say a greatly growing influence of Christianity in the southern parts of Africa. And so when you hit those territories and those countries that are kind of in the, in the middle, it, it can be an interesting thing. Would you call them strategic? Yes, very much so, um, yeah. because... You know, there's strongholds. What we did at U-Turn, we began taking and accurately, compassionately preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we saw massive results. I mean, just tens of thousands of people a year coming to Christ. And through empowering the indigenous people to take the gospel to their own people, we were seeing those same, same types of results. As Nathan mentioned, they're just pockets where God is mightily at work. But then, as you said, from the north, you have this massive influence of, of resources from from oil, finances, and whatnot that are moving. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's an area, and Eric will talk a little bit about this, where we are reaching people who are cultural Muslims. They're Muslims because their families were Muslim. And there's a mosque every two miles, but those people are coming to Christ in droves because we've been able to take the gospel to them. And so through this massive harvest of people responding to the gospel, we saw a real need, and as an evangelist, my heart is to accurately and compassionately preach the gospel, but the Great Commission is not to manipulate decisions. It's to make disciples. They've heard that a lot on Explored Missions, yes, Nathan. Yeah. I mean, we, we pound that, that yes. it's it's not converts, it's disciples. Right, and so just counting hands raised or how many people prayed a prayer, and I think all a lot of evangelists, including myself, fall into that trap because we're so numbers conscious or we're, we're, we're so focused on what we did instead of what God's doing. And so about five years ago, I had a real just, I believe the Holy Spirit just really broke through in my heart. And we began to look at how could we prepare leaders? Uh, you know, the method of discipling is is clear in the New Testament. It's through the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And so 
um, how do you build churches without leaders? And so that's where we began to drop back and not just look at how many people we could get to pray a prayer, but how could we develop strong leaders and see force multipliers for the kingdom of God in these areas where God was so actively at work. Eric, that's kind of where you come in, man. Okay, you got to have, if you got all these people that are saved, what are you going to do with them? Are you just going to let them lay there? Are you going to plant churches? What are you going to do? Well, you know, we believe that uh, disciples make disciples and churches plant churches. And so as we began to see all of these people coming to Christ in this great harvest, I mean, God's at work. God's at work around the world. He's bringing people to himself. And it's really an exciting day to be alive. And, And so, how are we going to fan into flame what the Holy Spirit's doing, and and how are we going to empower other believers to take the gospel uh, further? And so the Lord has led us to put together rural Bible schools where we're actually taking the gospel directly to the villages. Pastors are coming to us. We're training them for two years, uh, and basically they're getting a seminary certificate. And so for two years, we're walking alongside them. And while they're working with this, we work with them to help them understand how to plant a church, how to disciple believers, and how to multiply the church that they're planting. And so about 12 to 18 months into that process, we go with them to help them plant that church. And then as the church is planted and as it begins to grow and the disciple, uh, the believers are being discipled, uh, the church is ready to multiply Men and leaders come out of that, and they come to the next Bible school, and we're able to continue growing that process. We started with one Bible school. We now have five with about 140 that are training. And that 140 represent, in the next 12 to 18 months, 140 churches that will be planted. Three more schools will start in the next four months, and we'll be at about 200 students representing 200 churches that will be planted in the next 12 to 18 months. And we'll just continue to grow that process. Now, two of those churches and what's are two of those schools that are exciting are a part of that people group that Joe referenced just a minute ago. The Yao people there are a culturally Muslim group of about four million. There are two uh, evangelical churches in that area that we began working with and to share the gospel. And through our work with them, the Lord led us to with a desire to plant 47 more churches. So just in the last few weeks, our two pastor training schools there have opened. We, we have 35 men that are training to plant churches among the Yao people group. Two of those are former imams that God revealed himself to. They gave their life to Jesus Christ, and now they're training to plant churches and to share the truth of Jesus Christ among this Muslim people group. Nathan, sounds like those leaders were were yeah. people of influence that's yeah, going to sure. reach others. You know, they already had that uh, circle of influence in place, that social network. That's how the gospel always spreads is through social networks. And uh, see these guys turn into church planters and, and leaders is, uh, is incredible. You guys have said a whole lot in just really a short amount of time. So, Eric, you've been, and both of you really have talked about a lot about leadership development. and when we're talking about large and what you guys are talking about, large numbers, and sometimes the large numbers are hard for many of us to comprehend and just even imagine how that happens. But in, in a movement where, where God is saving thousands of people and we're seeing hundreds of churches being planted, 
leadership, developing leaders, developing new leaders, and multiplying that is, is it's the X factor. It's what sustains any, any sort of movement. It's so critically important. But you've mentioned something, and we have a, in the West a lot, we have a different idea of how leaders should be developed. We like to take our time. We like to dump a whole lot of information into people's heads and then say, okay, get this degree. It's going to take four to five years and, and then go out and practice a few times in some of these churches. And then you can work your way up and then maybe God can use you in a, in a big significant way. And we're talking 10 to 12 years later from when the, the development of a leader kind of begins to when you're actually seeing any sort of results. That's kind of our mentality here. But you're talking about a 12 to 18 month turnaround of when these guys start developing as leaders, they come into your schools and begin training, and then all these churches are being planted a year and two later. How does that happen? It sounds like some people say, that's rushing it. I see it as like it's immediate obedience on these guys' part. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, this is actually ongoing discipleship. We're discipling these guys on the ground. We're walking beside them in this process. For many of these men, it's been a dream for them to be able to go to school, but Financially, that'll never happen. We also have to break down some barriers and realize that if we are to bring these men into town uh, several hours away and go to seminary, that'll take three to four years. They'll need at least a year of English training to get to the right level. Then uh, they have to raise money to pay for their seminary education, and then that takes three to four years for that to happen. After three or four years of getting used to electricity, running water, and something just as simple as a flushing toilet, mm. they no longer have a desire to go back to the village because right. they don't have anything in common with the people in the village. So what we're seeing is literally millions of people across Africa today where that have never been touched with the gospel because nobody's come to the village. There are churches in the cities and along the tarmacs, but who's going to take the gospel there? So we have this incredible openness and this incredible opportunity it just needs to be empowered. Mm. There's never been a church planting movement that was not led by indigenous believers, people yeah. from that country. And so we believe that God has called us to partner as believers, as the church. We all have different gifts, different talents, and we're just coming together as the body of believers, fanning into flame what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do, and we're setting that free. And so by empowering these men through ongoing discipleship and training, they're learning how to do it. And, and they're just going out into these villages doing what they've already learned. So they're learning the Word of God. They're learning how to study the Word of God. They're learning how to preach and to exegete a biblical sermon. They're also understanding how they can be light in darkness, why it's important to help these other people in the village have better lives by taking simple training such as animal husbandry, and farming techniques to make their lives better. They help us find areas where there's need for clean water, and we're able to facilitate that. So we're basically just seeding the opportunity, and the Holy Spirit is growing it. And these men, these believers who have been praying for many years for someone to come and to walk beside them, now have the opportunity. And, and with great excitement and joy in their heart, they're taking the gospel out. And they're reaching their, 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 their fellow countrymen. They're sharing the gospel. They're discipling other believers, and then the process multiplies, mm. and then they go to the next village. It's an exciting yeah. thing to watch, and it really is. If you want to see 
the New Testament in the book of Acts come to Africa with us because we're seeing it lived out every day. Yeah, so it sounds like you're saying three basic things, you know, just as a summary for all of us listening is you're taking the training to the people, to where they are in the villages and, and close by. You are turning over leadership to the local people, indigenous leaders, developing that so they can run with things. And then you're doing on-the-job training where, you know, it's not just a head knowledge, it's not just book knowledge, it's right as they are with living uh, living training and, and working training and kind of like Jesus would do with the disciples, just get out and do it alongside people. And with that comes some accountability because mm-hmm. we're walking alongside them. We're able to kind of provide the rails right. and, and make sure that, that the theology is, is, is good theology, that mm-hmm. they're preaching out of the Word of God and, and that the discipleship process is taking place. So, so we're able to encourage one another in our walk with Christ together. That's awesome. Joe, when, when I hear that, and you first started, and God obviously given you a gift of evangelism, sharing the gospel, people responded. How long did it take you to see, man, I've got to, we've got to follow up. We, we've got to have this added, um, you know, it didn't take Paul long on the missionary journeys to figure that out. You know, he would leave somebody there for a while to train them while he went on. So it sounds like you're taking the, what I'm getting to, sounds like you're taking the model of Paul. You know, he would go to a city, he would preach the gospel. There'd be those that would believe, those that would not. Others say, we're going to listen more. He would stay there, stay there a few months, except at Ephesus where he stayed for years. But most of the time, he would leave one of those guys there, Timothy, Titus, he'd leave them there to to build up the, those leaders that was in that community. Sounds like you got the idea from the Bible. Absolutely. Uh, you mean the Bible has that good of ideas? <laughs> it's not an antiquated yeah, book? That, that's an amazing theory that we might actually follow the Word of God and, <laughs> and do what it says. Uh, you know, as Eric mentioned, any any move of God is going to have to be originated from the, the native people, the indigenous people. And so one of the problems I think that we as Westerners sometimes take into a culture like that is we think we're going to solve all the problems. And that's a huge mistake. The, the mistake, I, I'll give you a perfect example. When when we take a short-term team, it'll be absolute chaos. I mean, it's like people are saying, which way are we going to go? What do you know? And, and, and as an American, you know, you, you almost get frustrated. And at the end of the day, you'll come back and 1,500 people will be in the kingdom. And I always laugh and joke and say, if we ever get organized over here, we'll probably see 10, 12 people a day saved, you know? Hey, that could be uh, some of the issues with some of our churches here in the West. We're over, over-organized, Well, I, I, I call it over-civilization. We talk mm-hmm. about we're too civilized to do certain things. Yeah. Uh, we need to get uh, – this may get us a problem. We need to become uncivilized about a few things. It's just wrong and need treated, and some things are right, and they're just right. Well, and, and to see, you know, God at work, you, you, you step out of the way. You do take your hands off of it. I, I want to answer your question specifically. Probably five years ago, I really struggled. We were seeing hundreds of thousands of people making professions of faith, but we were not seeing that discipleship model. And so I asked the question, Lord, do we slow down the evangelism? How, how do we facilitate? Because we're not seeing the discipleship. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, it says, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, pray that the gospel will run swiftly. And, and it was like the Spirit of God said, don't slow down the evangelism, speed up 
the leadership trainings, we, we began to pray about how do we take indigenous people that we've poured into through, for years and mobilize them out to train their own people. So what Eric's talking about is not Westerners training Malawians. These are Malawians. These are guys with uh, master's level educations that have gone through seminary and they're out training their own people. So you guys are just connected. We facilitate it. Yeah, that's, that's what isn't that what I mean. That is awesome, Joe. Yes. Yeah. And yes. and so God gave you that from reality of what you saw, mm. the Bible model yeah. for what you could read, sure. and God brought it together. Sure. I mean, you look at Paul. What did he do? He took Timothy and Silas, and he sent them out. Uh, they would come back. So what were they doing? They were coming back, receiving more edification, more training, but then back out they went. And so that's the model is is how can we empower these folks to do it themselves and, and to understand that I love the word in Chichewa for God. It's Malungu. The word for the Western man is Mazungu. And I tell them, you don't need Mazungu. You need Malungu. You don't need the Western <laughs> man. You need God, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes our culture that we bring hurt. I, I, you know, here's what helped me. If I were going to the Caribbean and I was wanting to start a church, from my culture that I grew up in, would have to have a piano and an organ. You know, it would to sing those hymns. That just doesn't work. So, so the reality is, you do, you do look at their culture. You do look at their tradition. And and it's not that you fit that to the Word of God, but the Word of God and the Spirit uses what they can of those people, regardless. He uses and draws them out, doesn't he? Absolutely. I, I want to tell a story real quick. I was in an African village years ago, and um, we were invited to come to a particular village by a, a woman. Now, the average age at that time was around 36. People were dying before their 36th birthday. And so this, these women were in their 40s, which would have been elderly in that culture, and they literally begged me to come to their village. And so we promised them that we would come on our way out. And so these women had gone to their village and gathered the entire village, 400 people waiting for us to get there. When we got there, the chief, very stern, very, you know, uh, just sort of in an overcoat with a hat and sitting on the front of his, his, his little small brick home, which was nice by Malawian standards, and as I preached the gospel, um, he asked a question. He said, if I accept this Jesus, will it offend my ancestors? <laughs> well, you know, they, they're animists. They believe if they live good lives that um, God will bless them bad lives, that, that God will curse them. And so there was a brick in front of me, and I picked up the brick, and I said, Chief, what is this? <laughs> he said, it's a brick. I said, what kind of house do you live in? So I live in a brick house. I said, what kind of houses did your ancestors live in? He said, grass houses. I said, then why do you live in a brick house? He said, it's better. I said, well, who taught you to make bricks? He said, the Western men. I said, so if someone had come and told your ancestors about Jesus, I believe they would have followed him because Jesus is better. So much better. He smiled and said, I'm ready to make Jesus my God. <laughs> and he and almost everyone in the village uh, accepted Christ. Real quick, he gave us an acre of land to plant a church. And all around that area, they grew tobacco. He asked me, what should we do with this tobacco? I said, Chief, I've been coming here long enough to know that if, if you don't harvest this tobacco and sell it, your people will starve to death. But next year, why don't you plant corn and cotton? He did so, and the entity that controls the tobacco industry in Malawi decreased the price 33% the next year. Corn and cotton doubled, 
Every chief within a 15-mile radius came and said, why did you pant corn and cotton? He said, the man of God told me to. And we led 250,000 people to Jesus as the gospel began to spread throughout mm. those villages. Would you call that miraculous? That's, that's the book of Acts. It right? is. Right it's the book yeah. of Acts. Nathan, when I hear this and I hear this person of influence, these planting churches, uh, that's true anywhere, anytime, place. Now, we want to, and, and what you were talking about, organizing, if we got organized, we'd probably westernize it and ruin it, but it's a biblical model. Yeah, and just to change gears a little bit, because this is something on, you, we mentioned over and over just the harvest field that is in sub-Saharan Africa right now, specifically Malawi and countries you guys are, are working in. I don't know exactly how to ask this, but let me just ask it this way. Why do you think that at this time in history, at this in this place, why is God doing this? Such an amazing harvest at this time in this place. We know there's people working all over the world, and God is at work all over the world. In some fields, some mission fields seem to be less. You know, they're 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 not as fruitful at this time. Why this place and this time? What do you think? You know, I've been working in Malawi for 20 years now, and uh, I equate it to a man walking out of the desert for five days with no water, and you present him with a cup of cold water. Um, he just he just has immense thirst. He just drinks it down. And so when you go into a place of systemic poverty, abject poverty, $246 is the median wage in Malawi with 80% unemployment, their complete sustenance farming culture and you walk in and not just give them a little hope but eternal hope they they drink it like a thirsty man coming out of the desert that's the closest i've come to any sort of understanding um you know i I share the gospel all over america and i just see a lack of hunger a lack of need whereas there there's so much need and when you offer them hope they just drink it like a thirsty man coming out of the desert when we see this we want our folks to hear about U-Turn Ministries. They may want to learn more. Short-term mission trips. Absolutely. They're available. Yeah. How in the world do they get a hold of you guys, Eric? There's a couple of different ways. You can go to our website. It's U-TurnMen.org. Y-O-U-T-U-R-N-M-I-N.org. Or you can just simply email me at Eric P at U-TurnMen.org. You turn. Y-O-U. Y-O-U. Oh, man. You. That's pretty good. That's really good. Guys, one more thing, because we're coming up on the close. And uh, if you're listening to this and you say, man, I want to learn more, tune in next week, weekend, because we're going to have these guys. We're going to continue this conversation. God is doing work. Can he do that work other places you as know, well as Malawi? One of the reasons I'm not living in Africa, I believe God has not given up on America. Amen. That's our hope at American Family Radio, I'll tell you. Nathan, this has been exciting. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk some more. We How need about to that? talk some more. We're going to go into specifics about what you're teaching. I want to hear some of that, that they can learn that quick. We want to thank you for listening to Exploring Missions here on this weekend. We thank God for giving us the opportunity to share with you what God is doing through U-Turn Ministries. You want to check them out, see what God would have you to do where you are, or maybe in Africa, you never know. Are you open to what God has for you? I pray you are. 
We'll see you next week on Exploring Missions.